Tokyo Olympics was an exercise in digital logistics. For the first time, no spectators sat in the stands as the world's best athletes did battle. But while the seats were empty, more people than ever were watching, from home, online and on smartphones. But hosting the most digital Olympics ever brings with it plenty of dark, ghastly actors. Hackers launched an unprecedented amount of cyber attacks on the Tokyo Games. About 450 million, to be exact. A cyber defence force equal to the task was on the job. But how could they possibly protect the Games from such an all-out overbearing attack? You'll never guess how many hacks actually succeeded. Listen on to find out. From CryptoLock, I'm Jamie Wilson. And I'm The Hack. And welcome to the next episode of Jamie vs The Hack. Okie dokie, welcome to episode two of Jamie versus the Hack. I am indeed the Hack, Jamie Wilson. How are you today, mate? Good, mate. And how are you going? Oh, look, I'm good. I'm good. I'm um, I'm pretty excited about today's episode because um, I'm a avid fan of the Olympics. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Terrible at any kind of sport, but keen to watch it, especially with a beer in my hand. And um, I'm also extremely uh, excited to announce that we have the very uh, knowledgeable. Dirk Hodgson from NTT with us. How are you, Dirk? I'm very well, thank you. That's good, mate. That's good. Tell us all about yourself. What, uh, Dirk, what, what is your area of expertise in, in cybersecurity and data security? So I've been in the cyber game for quite some time. So I like to think of myself as having a little bit of expertise across a large range of parts of cybersecurity. And as a result, I, I tend to be able to uh, jump into a number of client problems and hopefully solve them with the team that we have at NTT. Yeah, right. And tell me a little bit about NTT. Like what's what's the what's the go there? I like to think of NTT as the world's largest company that nobody in Australia has ever heard of. <laughs> We're actually very famous in Japan, which is where mm. we, we come to the topic of the Olympics. But NTT is one of the world's largest telcos. And we also have a technology services delivery company, which is where I fit into the picture. What we do is we help our customers to solve some of the most complicated technology problems today. And those customers range from really, really, really big companies, all the, all the big household brands that you know, right through to not-for-profits and government departments and everything in between. Yeah, right. So did you say you are a telco? We are indeed. You got, you got wires and stuff. We do, we do. <laughs> we, um, in fact, NTT has over 40% of the internet crosses our internet backbone each and every day. Are you the telco that the telcos use? Is that what, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh, there is probably some ish to that. Let, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could say. Okay, well, today we are talking about, you're, you're schooling me about uh, something that happened quite interestingly at the uh, Tokyo Olympics. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say when you guys brought this up, I was like, okay, I need to know a little bit of background about this because uh, the number was quite amazing and Mm. I didn't quite 
believe it and it turns out it's true. So that number we're talking about, and I have probably the same amount of questions, <laughs> is that there were 500 million attempted cyber attacks on the Tokyo Olympics. Am I? Is that... That's correct. Yeah, you're, totally right. You'll, you'll be pleased to know it's not quite 500 million. It was oh. 450. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was only off by 50 million. All right. So, look, at, like last episode we talked about uh, ransomware. And and I, I'm assuming no one thing was responsible. Like, we're not talking about ransomware attack. We're talking about all different kinds of attacks happening. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Let, let's put this into perspective then. 450 million attacks at the Tokyo Olympics. We know that cyber attacks in the last X amount of years have gone crazy. What happened up to this point? Have Olympics always been targeted like this? Were there this many at the last Olympics? Like, Take us through that a little bit. I think it's really important to start with the context of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And probably the first thing to note is that it's 2021, right? We've only just finished the Olympics. Uh, So Tokyo was postponed last year and ended up being largely conducted almost virtually. We all do Microsoft Teams meetings these days and lots of virtual meetings. The Olympics were actually largely the same in that a lot of the events were streamed. There was a lot more uh, requirement for networks to get stuff out to people, out to consumers who were watching it, uh, which made them really kind of almost the most digital Olympics in history. Olympics have always been targeted. They're, they're a big public event. They attract people who want to take a closer look at it, perhaps for profit, perhaps for a whole range of other reasons. But certainly the uptick in attacks against Tokyo compared to, say, London and, and other Olympics before it was very significant. Mm, yeah, right. And, I mean, like, you know, we've all seen Olympics attacked by terrorists, like by physical people. To, to see it like this is, is crazy. Jamie, what... Jamie, take me through what kind of attacks are being done on an Olympics. Like at this scale, we're talking about millions and millions of things. What are they doing? What I are think kind of one of the um, challenges that we've faced over a 12-month period, especially the COVID-19, and a lot of people have started to highlight the people working from home. And then we've had a whole lot of vulnerabilities that's actually happened from people working with unsecured environments. So you're looking at um, you know a whole lot of individuals now working remotely, which is trying to dial into service or secure clouds. And unfortunately, those zero-day attacks um, where they haven't been picked up, um, unfortunately, in the testing and the pen testing, they're starting to see the vulnerabilities. So it's been an absolute credit to see NTT be able to hold back that that number, which is an incredible number of attacks. Yeah, but, I mean, we're definitely, I mean, phishing emails, I, I can't believe that it's still on the increase. Can you yeah. believe it, Dirk? Like, after all this time, still phishing emails is one of the largest yeah. attacks. I think... Um, is that because Is that because they're, they they bear fruit? Is that... Oh, I, well, it's an easy way. I yeah. mean, especially if they've um, had been exploited their data already. Yeah. You can run algorithms over top of it. It's an easy way. You've got a whole lot of email addresses to be able to send it out to. Mm. But um, what's happening in the market is that there's a whole lot of AI smarts now, which they're starting to build up mm. to be able to, you know, really hit these attacks and increase them. So at the Olympics, we're talking about phishing. We're talking about denial of service, which took, like the, the range of attacks. So take us through that, Dirk. Yeah, absolutely. And just before I do, I'll, I guess I'll just take one step back and 
You asked a question before about, you know, are people still doing phishing because they bear fruit? That's ultimately the core of cyber attacks, right? People do what works. Phishing works because ultimately if you click on a link and it takes you off to infrastructure outside of your own environment, at that point, all of the great cyber protections you've put in place can be completely voided uh, mm. as such. A so you're changing the game early. Very much changing the game yeah. early. So for the Olympics, there were many, many, many types of cyber attacks. Mm. Now, you have to remember that the infrastructure at, at an Olympics is fundamentally different to what we have in an office building. One example for the sailing at the Olympics, uh, NTT and a number of our partners actually installed a quite literally a 55 metre long floating 12K TV out in the, in the water so people could be standing on the sideline or, or watching via streamed video and see the, the sailing that was happening on that um, very large, very high quality TV. All of the feeds were coming off the boats themselves as well as a fleet of drones that were flying above the sailing event. So you've got all of these different things happening which just creates a, a whole range of places that bad guys can go and attack. So on the one hand, they might go for a phishing attack. They might get mm. somebody to click a link. But on the other, when they look at, say, trying to take those drones out of the air, there could be a whole other way of doing that. It might be a denial of service attack. It might be all range of other types of mm. attack at that point. Yeah, right. Okay, so million questions because I am such an idiot about this stuff. Uh, NTT helped with securing the Olympics and stopping like real-time stopping attacks take us through how that actually comes about how do you even start to understand what you need to do for that yeah, i mean you start at the start right I mean, what you need to do is really look at what the risks are in the environment but you also need to establish visibility of the environment it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that the olympics are a temporary event so there's a whole lot of new it that turns up literally on the back of, back of trucks to get stood up for the Olympics and then it goes away afterwards. A big part of it was making sure that all of that had telemetry on it so that that could go back into security operations centres. And, you know, we weren't the only one involved in that process, but certainly making sure that you can see everything that happens is really important. Making sure you understand the risk is really important. So threat intelligence, uh, NTT over the years has invested heavily in making sure that we know what's happening in bad guy land, so making sure that we can see the, the threats out there and that we can help our customers to protect those, protect against those. And ultimately, that threat intelligence stood us in good stead for the Olympics to make sure that we could see attacks and we could categorise those attacks quickly on all of that IT infrastructure. And then the final part really is using a combination of smart technology and smart people. NTT had 200 people working on this at any mm. one time. Mm. Huge investment of, of time. We were a gold sponsor of the Olympics, so mm. very happy to do it. But having those people sitting there watching screens and making sure that they could see something that was happening quickly and then be able to respond accordingly. But also, even with that many people, you were never going to be able to see everything. I mean, mm. 200 people, 450 million attacks, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I was, that was my next... Yeah. I, look, I have many questions, but what... <laughs> was my next like if you had if budget and people and stuff wasn't a wasn't an issue how many people should you have on that like what's what's the real sort of you know what's the 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 boundary for that 
I think the important thing here is that you'll never have enough people in this game. It's an asymmetric threat. So as a, as a threat, as a, as a bad guy, you can launch attacks willy-nilly and you only have to have one get through to be completely successful. On the defence side, you need to be sitting there all day, every day, mm. defending against each and every one, and if a single one gets through, mm. you're in all sorts of trouble. Mm. So we like to think about it in terms of people plus technology making sure you've got the right algorithms in place. That visibility that I talked about is important. You have to have all of the data coming back so that you can analyse it accordingly. So was 200 the right number? Look, it worked, right? Yeah, um, yeah, It's yeah. the people plus the technology that mm. makes the difference. For sure. And what about, like, is there any anecdotes from those teams? Like, anything from those guys that were, that, you know, you should, that, that people should know about, that businesses should know about? Is there anything new they learnt from, from having that many attacks sort of flying at them? Yeah, there's a, a series of really great releases that our, our global organisation has put out on this. So I think we can probably put the, the links to those in the, the show notes, but certainly that's something that I would highly recommend people look at. But some of those mm. messages I talked about before around threat intelligence, so seeing what the risk is, seeing what the threat is and, and updating quickly and in, in real time where possible is really important. Visibility, making sure you know when something's going on in your environment. I mean, CryptoLock's a great story on that, right? You know, when you start thinking about being able to see changes at the file level as soon as they happen and having a full audit history, that's the kind of thing you have to have in place and you have to have that across your entire environment so you can see those changes and react to them quickly. Mm. Um, you were talking before about the bad guys in this. Who who are the bad guys? Who are they? Who, who's launching 450 million attacks on the Olympics? Well, keep in mind, I mean, yes, there's a huge amount of cyber criminals that are active there, but you've got a whole lot of AI being built behind it as well. So not only have you got the individuals turn around doing the hacks, you've also got the AI which is out there hitting, you know, millions of people or as well. Automating. The That's attacks, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes away the risk of, you know, you, you're not going to have that sort of number sitting there trying to, you know, do that, pen, you know, mm. penetration straight up. Mm. No, that's right, Jamie. And I think, you know, we always talk about cyber criminals and cyber criminals, you know, where there's profit, people will go. And that's mm. where we see a lot of, of cyber attacks coming from. But at the end of the day, it comes back to motivation, right? You know, to answer that question, you think about it and say, who would be interested in, Either stealing something from the Olympics, well, that's probably a criminal thing. Disrupting the Olympics, well, there's probably a number of organisations we can all think of that would be interested in disrupting the Olympics and then you know, profiting or benefiting in some other way as well. And when you look in that context, it's a very, very broad swathe of people mm. who would have been interested in There this. was an individual that I was with over the weekend who is a hacker. He actually went to court, got fined, etc., and um, he was turning around saying the reason why he did it was the excitement of being able to just yeah. penetrate. Now, this was over seas that he did, mm. um, but government organisation. But it was the thrill where they turned around and said, no, you wouldn't be able to get in. And yes, he did. And twice yeah. he was able to access that data and, and modify it. Yeah. Would there be some of those? Is like, is that a presence at, at, at the Olympics? Is that people who are doing, I'm going to do this because it's, it's fun? Like I said, it's all down to motivation. I, mm. I can't talk to the specific yeah, right. here, yeah, but yeah. certainly, you know, would there be people who who are looking at this and 
saying it's fun, of course there would be. Yeah, yeah totally yeah, agree. For sure. I mean, that's and that's probably an insanely good lesson for any business, right? Like people will disrupt it just for the hell of it. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. All right. Um, you said 200 people. What were they work Like what's the hardware that goes into protecting something like as big as the Olympics? What, what were they working on? Like, how, how do they, what's the, you know, were they in some kind of film sort of Hollywood style, like master, like room with big screens and, you know, all this stuff going on? Because that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very cool. That, that would be absolutely very cool. No, look, I, I think when you, when you think about hardware, it, it's, it limits you a little bit. You have to think about the hardware, the software and the people themselves. As Jamie talked about before, you know, we're in a world these days where people don't need to be in those big, shiny operating rooms. And indeed, having spent a bit of time in, in those in a few organisations in the past, you know, they're not necessarily as um, productive as you might like to mm. think they But are. they but look cool. Come on. They do look very <laughs> cool. But these days, people can be a threat analyst, a SOC analyst from anywhere, just like you can mm. perform most IT jobs or cyber jobs anywhere. So you don't necessarily need to have all 200 people sitting shoulder to shoulder behind you know, nice big double or triple or quadruple screens. People can actually be doing that from all over the world, including in an ops room, but also doing that from home or doing that from other offices across the organisation. Yeah, for sure. And, and take me through, like, say, you know, an example. What, what are the roles of those people? Yeah. Like, what, what, you know, who, what are their titles? What do they do? Yeah, the, the way a security operations centre is set up um, varies wildly across the industry. There's certainly some standards out there and we comply with most of the, the really well-known standards, uh, but ultimately there's a lot of discretion and best practice that goes into it as well. Typically speaking, though, you'll have an, a, a group of people who are triaging data. So, mm -hmm. you know, we try to do as much of that as we can with machines, so we'll use all sorts of algorithms that look at the cyber kill chain, the MITRE attack framework, and a few others as well to try to weed out the, the, the data that doesn't actually help you to find the attack before it gets to the analyst. But ultimately, there still needs to be an analyst looking at that data saying, this could be an attack or maybe it is an attack or mm -hmm. actually just ignore it. So can I ask, sorry, because this is like completely gibberish to me. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like, So if I'm looking like... In the, in, in the simplest terms possible, if I'm looking at a screen and I'm working for your team, I can see data changing in certain areas where you're monitoring and they have to be like, I need to either look into this or I'm comfortable with where that's at. Those kind of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and that's a critical function in a, in a SOC. You need to be able to look at that data and say, is this something that I need to send up the line for further analysis or mm. can it be left? And a lot of that comes down to experience. It's also down to making sure you look at things like indicators of compromise. So is something happen, happening that looks like it could be the first stage of an it's, attack? This is kind of like what you were saying last episode where they're, like, they're sitting there watching their files get encrypted in front of their eyes. Like, mm. That's what we're talking oh, about? Yeah, from a read somewhere. Yeah. No, no. Um, <clears throat> what Dirk, well, that's part of it, but what mm. Dirk is mentioning that um, ensuring that think of a traffic controller. Mm. So you're, you're seeing all the planes that are flying around. You've got the radar. 
you want to make sure that you know you haven't got two that are aircraft that are coming close together. Mm. You want to make sure that you know if they're uh, once taken off and once coming in for landing, mm. that they do have that distance in between them. Mm. Now, if they're looking like there's a collu- um, collu- collusion coming, yeah, that it would actually detect it and make sure that traffic controller would turn around and move it away. Yeah, right. So same in the so your systems well. do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and like, all right, this is me going into Hollywood territory again, but um, is it is it as also as like weird as like that thing that's there shouldn't be there? Like that, you know, like let's use that analogy at the same time. There's a plane on top of a plane, and quite clearly, clearly, two planes haven't crashed at the moment. That's weird. I should check that out. Is that the kind of anomalies you're talking about? Yeah, it is. It's it's more a needle in a haystack type mm. anomaly, though. You, you're not going to see something It's not blatant. Else. Yeah, yeah, it won't be as blatant as a 747 that really no. shouldn't be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, again, for example, it could be that somebody has clicked on a link back to the phishing example, and that has then made their computer link up to a known bad IP address out there. So, you know, you might see that. That could be nothing. That could be mm-hmm. something that just happens as part of normal business. But it could also be the sign that something's about to, to happen. And really the difference there is having an analyst that knows what they're talking about, has been around for a while and can look at it and go, does this make sense as an attack or mm-hmm. is it just something I should let slide through to the keeper? Yep, yep. Okay. My initial thought straight away is that... Like, forgetting that the Olympics knew, know that this is going to happen to them. They know they're a target, right? I feel like... I feel, do, do enterprises or even medium-sized businesses, do they have these kind of setups, similar kind of thing? Like, are they ready for this? On the whole, let's talk broadly. Well, it all depends on the organisation. I mean, mm. if you're having a look at a team of five versus a large organisation, especially if it's not in the cybersecurity world... Um, you normally find they rely on the expertise of larger players being able to have the monitoring systems and antivirus and things like that. Mm. Um, from an enterprise level, yes, you normally find that they do have a SOC or they're engaging mm. with organisations like NTT mm. who have um, global access to threat reports, ensuring that those algorithms are up to date um, and can capture them immediately. Mm. So it really depends on the organisation, what you're talking about. Yeah, which is like... The problem, right? Because some of these organisations take it extremely seriously and others would probably be left behind in these these kind of environments, right? Yeah, I think so. Most organisations these days do take the risk of a cyber attack quite seriously. Mm. I mean, you only have to look at Australia over the last 18 months about the sheer number of very public attacks against Channel 9 News, the local, local in Queensland... Examples of Uniting Care Queensland, yep, JBS Meets. Yep. Um, there's so toll. many toll. Yeah, ab- yep. absolutely. There's so many attacks out there that most organisations are thinking about it, and most organisations are actively doing something about it. Whether everybody has or even needs a a ops room with lots and lots of threat analysts sitting there and, and watching it is is probably another question. Mm. Typically, we say that you know, cyber is not a localised threat it's a global threat therefore having a global partner who sees threats and sees attacks around the world across hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different customers is actually a force multiplier in and of itself mm. you know if you tried to do it yourself you couldn't see all of those things but if you work with somebody like ourselves or the many others that do this you can actually see it and therefore defend against mm. it so it's a good like a 
the, the, having the knowledge is the like the starting point. It's not yeah. it's not the what do I buy to stop this. It's like what do I actually need to stop. Yeah, is a good that, starting. That's point. a really 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 good point. Really, man, there's plenty of good technology solutions out there, but knowing what the risk to your organisation is and knowing what that is in a you know semi real time sense is probably the most important thing. What are you actually trying to defend against? Um, you know, if you try to defend everything, you're probably not going to do a very good job. Mm. Yeah, right. Sorry. Jamie, were you... No, I to totally up? agree with yep. what Dirk's saying. I mean, even with the larger ones, I mean, um, you know, is it a silver bullet? Absolutely not mm. um, with the global threat reports because we understand that the cyber criminals are already, you know, spending a lot of time work, trying to work out how do they get around or, or create a vulnerability. So okay. you've still got that challenge. So um, don't think that, okay, I'll, I'll put all my money into a threat, you know, to ensure mm. that we're going to be protected. It's not actually the case at all. Yeah, okay. All right, let's summarise. So there were 450 million attacks. That's, sorry, I, I still find that number so hard to quantify in my head. There were 450 million attacks on the Tokyo Olympics. They were all different kinds of attacks. Denial of service, phishing, trying to attack hardware, all these kind of things. You had 200 people plus other agencies in rooms or mobile analysing these threats, pushing them up to sort of different threat levels, people acting to stop those threats. And what happened in the end was two weeks of an incredible, unprecedented Olympics where no one was watching but everyone Mm. was watching from home and none of those attacks took anything down. And the reason was that they had people across those knowledge areas and threat areas and knowing uh, as quickly and as fast as possible what was being thrown their way. Is that a good summary of how it all went down? Yeah. Very well said. (laughs) Well done. My last question. What can the next Olympics expect? Oh, I I think, (laughs) you know what, you're, you're, you're looking at the same. Yeah. I can't see the threats going down. I think there's only got to be an increase as we go along. Um, early, I, I think um, NTT have done a magical job um, working with the rest of the teams and agencies around the world. I think um, really um, sharing of information, understanding the threats and where they're coming from will be critical in the next part of it. Um, but ensuring that um, you know the infrastructure, um, like, um, NTT, like when it was all set up, ensuring that the, the, it was coming through and that the monitoring systems were were there um, to be able to alert them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to keep in mind, I think, that Brisbane 2032 is still 11 years away. I mean, take ourselves back 11 years and think about what was different. You know, <laughs> iPhones and Android phones were... No one understood cyber security. Well, absolutely. But, mm. you know, the iPhones were only a couple of years old back then. Like, that's how far... Yeah. the future this is i think technology and types of attacks are already changing so quickly that it's impossible to say here's what we should expect in in that period of time i do think that the the threat isn't going away it is going to be something there is going to be uh, some degree of people who are trying to profit people who are trying to disrupt and perhaps people who are just trying to have fun uh, with the attacking the next olympics what I think we all in the industry need to do is make sure that we're, we're working with all of the stakeholders to mm-hmm. give the best possible consumer experience or spectator experience in the safest possible way with whatever technology that happens to be at the time. Mm. Yeah, okay. I think also we've really got to be careful knowing that it is 11 years away that 
you, do, you know, these organisations don't recruit someone unethical to be able to bring the games down as well. Mm. You know, but I think that there yep, yep. is one. Like when I look from a cyber criminal lens, well, hang on, we've got 11 years. Why wouldn't we turn around, train one of our guys up, put them in an organisation? And yep. I know it's very dark, but the reality is it's got plenty of time to be able to do it. Well, like you say, it's all about knowledge, right? It's all about understanding the threat. So that makes tons of sense to me. But, I mean, you know, Brisbane's 11, what did we say, 11 years away, 12 years away? Yeah, 11 years. Paris is what? Two years away, mm. right? Are you are you guys going to be on that again? I have absolutely no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Give me the goss, the industry yeah. goss. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, if we're talking about $450 million now, um, it, I was just trying to Google if there was a stat about the Olympics previous, but it was, it was, it looks like it was more than double the attacks for Tokyo. More than double the attacks. Are we heading for a billion? Is that what this is? Are we heading for a billion cyber attacks on the Paris Olympics? Oh, look, I, I think it's... Everyone wants to put a number to these things. I do. <laughs> you, you know, I'm keen. When you think about it, though, coming back to that point, you only need one to be successful. Yeah. So the, the number of attacks is really interesting and it, it makes for good headlines. Mm. But what we really need to be thinking about is, is which ones of those are going to be successful mm. and how can we best defend against those ones rather than trying to look at it and predict whether it's going to be half a billion, a billion or, or even more than that. Yep. Okay. I promise you I'll stop speculating. Dirk from NTT, Jamie from CryptoLog, I've been officially hacked. Thanks for uh, being on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Jamie versus the Hack is hosted by Jamie Wilson, founder and chairman of CryptoLog. Learn more at CryptoLog.com. If you like what you hear, why not leave us a review? Or even better, tell two of your friends about us. Jamie vs. The Hack is produced by the team at the Content Division.